Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to. You can pick their brain. You can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to the third episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, today I'm here with Jacob Myers, in person actually, so that's nice. Jacob, how you doing? I'm doing excellent, my man. How about yourself? Doing pretty good since turkey season's only 32 <laughs> days away. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to chase some uh, screaming gobblers, Chase some long beards, baby. Yeah. Uh, so today on the podcast, we interviewed Jacob Schmidt from DeerHuntingSchool.com. 
you might not have heard of him, uh, but he's got some YouTube videos out there. He's not on TV or anything, but he's got a lot of YouTube videos out there, which is kind of how I stumbled across him. And he's got some great content for hunting pines, hunting topography. He, he has some awesome videos on how to read topography and use saddles and stuff. Uh, so after seeing all that, I definitely thought he'd be a great guy to have on the podcast. So we kind of start out with some postseason scouting stuff. And then we kind of morph it into strategies, sign, uh, just kind of some ways that he hunts, particular areas that he likes. And then, uh, Jacob, second part of the podcast is where you got into it. I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, the whole podcast is by far, you know, the greatest we've done yet. I love it. But what I really loved about the podcast is when we get to the point we start talking a little bit about early season hunting, well, if it does not get you fired up what he has to talk about for early season, you do you need to stop hunting because you don't have a heartbeat. What he talks about early season hunting later in the podcast is absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait now for next season to be able to go out and scout and use some of his tactics that he brought up to us uh, to be able to get on some bucks in early season before you can ever think about uh, deer rutting. Yeah, man. And this is a pretty long episode, so we're going to keep this intro kind of short, but I'm definitely thinking that this is going to be an episode that we're going to refer back to for a really long time. So I hope y'all enjoy it, and uh, here we go. Here he is. All right, guys, welcome to the third episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Uh, Today, me and Jacob are together in studio, and we have Mr. Jacob Schmidt on the phone of Deer Hunting School. Uh, Mr. Jacob Schmidt, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. Good. Jacob Myers, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, sir. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. Deer season has now ended in Alabama, so I'm kind of sad, but I'm ready for turkeys now. Uh, well, let's get right into it. Uh, Jacob Schmidt, uh, tell me a little bit about your deer hunting school. Um, well, it's probably I've been doing it probably for about five, four or five years now. Um, I had just basically... Um, I, I studied internet marketing for several years, and it was just—I was just like, "What? What is there? Something that I can do that I love to do, um, that I feel like I can help people with?" Um, and actually, in, in all honesty, what I'd done was I looked at things like that I would want to know, um, and you know, I said, "What if I was a? What if I was new to hunting, or you know, I wanted to improve my hunting game and things like that? What are some things that?" that would improve my game or, or other people that has them, you know, and I, I did a lot of thinking about, you know, what other, other guys that are, you know, maybe struggling in an area or whatever hunting. And I just per, started producing content and videos and things, um, on, you know, things that would, would help, you know, improve hunting. And then it just went off, took off from there. And I had guys, uh, you know, started emailing me, asking me about, asking me questions and stuff. And I just started making videos, answering some of their questions. And then I had people look at, asking me to look at their properties. And that, that led to, um, to me, um, looking at a lot of, a lot of different properties, aerial photos, um, and things like that. And then that, it just kind of has expanded from there. Um, and then, you know, I started recording some hunts, which was very difficult. I, I really pretty much have stopped that for the moment. I mean, I do a little bit. I have a f- couple stands I have set up for that. Um, but it's really hard to, re- to actually self-film and kill a deer. Yeah, um, I bet. Guys that can do it are um, extremely talented, or I think they have really good 
properties and there's certain setups that it work works good at but um, but for the most part it's just really educational resources that I've, I've put together and you know for different hunters at different stages in in their game yeah man i hear that uh yeah see i ran across you on youtube uh you did a, a video it was something along the lines of aerial scouting uh like pines like a parcel of pines and it's it's a video where you take uh, a a big parcel of pine trees that kind of sits in the middle of a bunch of hardwoods and you mm-hmm. kind of go over on the map how things look as far as how deer would travel where scrapes would be how you can tell if the pines are thick or if they're open and I ran across it I was like man this is good stuff because I'd never seen anything like that before because like we harp on this podcast there's not a whole lot out there on that kind of hunting uh right. you mostly see midwest stuff farm stuff but um well let's just hop right into some content here uh as a hypothetical you know season's over in most parts of the whitetail world uh so let's say that we're wanting to expand where we're hunting and we're maybe looking at a new parcel on a map maybe it's a private area that we're trying to get permission on or a lease that we could get or a parcel of public land let's let's jump in and say how would we scout that from a map before we put boots on the ground what what are some things that you would look for as far as vegetation topography etc i'll let you dive into that well the very first thing that i I look at uh, really is i look at i look at you know depending on the size of the property makes it makes a big difference and and the smaller the property is the the tougher it is because you have it gets down to really a timing thing but let's just say it's a pretty large property because that makes it you know a little bit easier you know to dive into because if it's really small you're just limited to what you have um, but what the first thing I do is I look at a pretty good size area and then I want to find things that deer have to have and then I look and you know they have to have food they have to have cover and they have to have water and then out of them things and, and it well out of them things I'll look at what they least have so sometimes it's really difficult because you look and you may think well they have every, they have it all um, but if you look at it in a, in, a, in a timing thing, I mean, sure, they have plenty of food in the summertime. But at some point throughout the year, that's going to get a, in a narrow window. There's going to be a window where these deer are narrowed down to feeding on a preferred food source at a, at a certain time. And then if you can find I use I talk about white oaks a lot because I hunt white oaks a lot. Um, and, but they're only good if you can find an area that has, say, a lot of cover and a few white oaks. doesn't do you any good in some areas that I hunt up in the mountains here in, um, um, in the Washita Mountains in Arkansas. I hunt that area a lot. There's a lot of logging and stuff goes on. But if you, some of the areas up there is good, but then there's areas, I mean, we're talking a million acres of public property. Um, so if you're... You know, in some of the areas you go look, and there may be, 20, you know, 15,000, 20,000 acres of, of nearly nothing but white oaks. Yeah, you know, yeah. it would be really hard to pinpoint in that area, uh, you know, where deer are going to feed on the white oaks. But if you if you look at it and you narrow it down and you can find spots where there may be 20,000 acres of pines and then there may be, 
you know, 50 acres of a, a little, a, a lot of times they'll, they'll be down a creek or something. Yeah. They'll leave that uncut and there'll be scattered oaks and stuff down in creeks. And you can key in on, on the food there. You know, that's, that's one thing that I look at. I, I always try to look at areas and usually if you start at a big area, um, I think that's one thing that's hard for a lot of guys because it gets overwhelming. They're like, hey, where do I start? Well, where I start at is I start looking at the area and I start finding areas that have something that's limited that deer have to have. You know, if you're in a, if you're in a huge hardwood thing, if you're in a big hardwood flat like up in the mountains or, or you know, a big bottom area, a lot of times the deer are limited to cover. So if you can find a small patch of, you know, it may be 10 acres of pines that's, you know, that's real thick or, or a thicket that's 10 acres, you've, you've found the, you know, the, the core area where the food doesn't matter. They have food all over. Um, you know, it's the bedding cover. But then vice versa, if you're in pines, a lot of times the um, you're looking for, you know, you may have 20,000 acres of, of, of solid thickets. And then you've got to pinpoint something that's different that the deer have to have, something that's limited. And then you have to realize, you have to look at, okay, what time of the year is it? Is it limited? What time of the year are they feeding on it? Like, say oaks, they're only going to feed on them when they're dropping acorns. You know, and that's, that, I think that's probably, water's another one. If, you know, if you were hunting in a swamp, you know, you're, you're not going to go out and, you know, set a stand up on a pond, but, you know, if you're in a mountain or you know a big area that doesn't have a lot of water, and there's there's a, there's a small pond here and there, um, them are you know almost always really good stand locations because they have a limited supply of water, um, and that's probably the very first thing that I do, and then after that I just continue to expand the pond. Once you do that, I think once you do that, you get in, and then after that point you can pinpoint some areas to look at. And then you can go in and you fine tune it by going in, you putting your cameras up, um, the other things that you have to do. But as far as aerial photo, that's probably the very first thing that will get someone set up and get them started in the right track. It's to not be overwhelmed by how large the area is or, or what it looks like. Start looking for small things um, that are limited that the deer have to have. Well, for sure, Jacob, and I totally agree with that. I mean, when you're looking at a piece of property, you know, I, I do the same thing when fishing. If you can find diversity in the terrain or wherever you're hunting or fishing, that's, you're going to find more animals there, uh, especially the deer. Um, you know, they love edges, and I notice that a lot when I'm on aerial photos. I'm trying to find some hard and soft edges. Uh, you know, some guys talk about edges where, you know, pasture and, you know, tree line right there that you have an edge. Or you might have, you know, a little softer edge uh, where you have some feathering with the timber between a hard edge and, uh, say, you know, like a pasture or green field uh, to like a pine thicket. But another thing we've noticed uh, for sure when doing aerial photos and the scouting in general is, you know, try to find some topography and then also where those terrain features, as in like the timber, kind of match up where you can find a good hard edge between hardwoods and pines. A lot of times you'll find rub lines and scrape lines right there in some major uh, trail corridors. And again, actually before, you know, we started recording, we kind of talked a little bit before uh, about, you know, just hunting pines in general and how that will throw a lot of guys off and they actually get, 
you know, to kind of discourage uh, when, say, you know, a logging company comes in and, you know, they log, you know, a good portion of their lease and they get upset about it, thinking, oh, man, my hunt's ruined. And I'd like for you to kind of talk about, about that and how, you know, logging can actually make your hunting explode in productivity and just being successful with that. Yeah, uh, with with logging, I, I, I get a lot. I, I see a lot of guys complain. I mean, I could understand, you know, like, like you had twenty acres and they come in and log the whole twenty acres and that's all you had. But um, that's that's rare that that happens. Most of the time, um, someone has something they can move to. But I actually think, I mean, we're we all three of us here. Um, we're we're talking about mostly southern deer. Um, and you don't, I don't know if you see it as, you don't, I know you don't see it near as much up north, but logging is, is one of the best things for whitetail deer in, in, in the country other than, you know, a 2,000 acre soybean field or something where they can, you know, have awesome nutrition and, and the farmer keeps the, the pH balance perfect in the soil and, and the deer just gets to eat all he wants and grow monster racks and, you know, stuff like that. Other than that, logging is one of the best things because it, it creates diversity but what happens with a lot of guys I think just like like I told y'all um, I, I fish a lot of bass tournaments um, and just losing one particular fish in the morning you know first thing you think you're jacked up you're thinking man this is gonna be an awesome tournament and just you go in you lose a big fish and it messes with your mind and you have this mindset that well, it's, it's over with now I just lost a five pounder or a six pounder you know that could have been the big bass i think a lot of guys get their season started off in that mind frame when something like that happens they have the perfect setup they've done their they've done their you know their postseason scouting they've done their run their trail cameras and then loggers come in you know september august whatever and they come in and, and cut you know and guys get really discouraged by that and they just think well my season's in run and it it's just like you know fishing a tournament while i'm talking about it. it puts their their mindset in a in a frame of thinking well this season's run and anytime you do that it's going to definitely definitely uh, you know if you have that mindset you're you're beating yourself the deer they're just going to adjust to it um they're going to logging creates diversity um with by years when when something's very first cut you know it, i mean you pretty much have dirt um, but really rapidly, plants going to start growing. I mean, as soon as you start getting rain, different types of plants start growing. And what happens a lot of times is people overlook it because it's just a big open area, and they don't realize that you know there there was woods there. A lot of times, the guys, I mean, they come in and wipe out their oaks, and they're just they're just devastated, thinking all oh, my acorns are gone. I've seen guys let just let leases go because of it, not realizing that all the growth that's fixing to come up is fixing to feed way more deer um, than, than whatever. I mean, you have, you may have a, a 200 acre food plot, you know, it, basically you have, if they, if they clear cut 200 acres, you have a 200 acre food plot um, that you can hunt there. You know, you have, and them are really good. Clear cuts are really good early in the season. They're really good late in the season because of the, of the food, you know, food is, Food is key early in the. I mean, food is key year round, but it's really key early season, late season. You know, obviously the middle. Most most people in the United States, especially in the South, I mean, the uh, the ruts takes place during the middle of the season. You know, and that's 
you know, most guys are worried about killing a buck at that time. Um, and I, I think that's a mistake to think that that's the only time you can kill a buck because, you know, if you get a good clear cut or, you know, some good logging activity come in, um, you know, even if it's late, if it's sitting now if it's too late, if they do it in the middle of the season, it really, really could disrupt the deer, but you can still adjust and deer will, you know, if there's no food there, they're going to avoid them areas. So you can cancel them out. I mean, if you have a, say a 500 acre uh, lease and they come in and cut 200 acres of it, you know, right in the middle of deer season, because I've seen that happen, you know, that's going to cancel out 200 acres that you have to worry about. So you can narrow your, all your efforts down to the other 300 acres and focus in on that. And then the next season, you're going to know that, hey, this is going to be a massive food plot. You want to put your cameras on there and start figuring out. Because you can guarantee if you have a food plot like that this, this one year and you've got good cover around it, and usually you do because you have diversity. Um, if they're cutting this three or four or five years ago, they may have cut something else. Well, that three or four or five year stuff, you're embedded in there. And they're going to come out and they're going to feed on that fresh green stuff that grows up um, because you're going to have thousands of different types of plants they're growing you know knee high waist high or whatever where the deer can feed on and you're going to have bucks um, especially early season coming in and feeding on that stuff it's just a matter of figuring out where they're coming in at and that's good bow hunting stuff there Um, and one thing you talked about was edges and and rub lines that's one thing that I really key in on Um, I really like to hunt edges Deer, deer follow edges I love hunting them in the rut i like to scout edges a lot because it's quick i can move through fast um, pick up rub lines i really focus on in on rub lines a lot especially that early season i feel like um, if i can find a hot fresh rub line the first week or two of bow season i feel like that i have a i have a 90 plus percent chance of getting that deer in bow range Um, and usually they're in a group they're in a group of, of uh, there's a group of bucks. So usually you have multiple bucks come in. Oh yeah, for sure. And another thing that kind of want to touch on is just a little bit more about where you hunt. Again, I have experience, me and Andrew currently live in Alabama. I live more central Alabama. Andrew's now in southern Alabama. But I have a decent amount of experience of hunting northwest Arkansas in the Arkansas River Valley. Uh, now, what part of Arkansas do you hunt the most and what's that train like? I hunt Right now, I hunt mostly uh, the Washita Mountains. Um, there's, it's really rough terrain. It's pr- probably the reason I hunt it. I don't, I don't, I don't know why the rough terrain it really gets me. But it, it, there's a lot of guys hunt it. Um, but the rough terrain really, um, it keeps the a lot of guys from hunting a lot of it. I don't know if that makes sense. There's a lot of guys hunting, but it seems like they all hunt the same areas. Mm-hmm. That, that's and, how it is here too. There's a place that I hunt where it's just like that. It's it's kind of a mountain, and a lot of people hunt all around the mountain, but not that many people hunt up on it. And there's a few different places in Alabama that are like that. Just throughout the mountainous parts of the state, you can really get away from people, especially if you if you get like a big. A valley in between the road and you where people will have to go down yeah. and then go back up because a lot of people don't want to do that especially as far as dragging a deer out especially if there's if you have to go through two valleys you're by yourself <laughs> oh yeah yeah well i, I hunt uh, 
more than just out there, but I, that's probably where I hunt the most. I, my wife and kids, we have a lease in the southern part of Arkansas, which is nothing but a pl- pine plantation um, that I take them and hunt on. But I, I, I love the hunt out there in, in uh, the National Forest because it's, I get I, I guess I just get a, I get really kicked out of being able to hunt in the group in the middle of a, a lot of guys are a lot of hunters um, a lot of hunting pressure and still have really good success on public property um i, I just that gives it's something that drives me it's a challenge um i can do it i have a lot of success i, I see a lot of good bugs and there's some big bugs out there i have one buck that i've hunted for a while i have not been able to kill him i, I had him coming in bow range but my youngest son messed me up on him one day and, <laughs> um, it, it was I wanted to strangle him, but <laughs> to be honest with you, this this deer now is, is he's he's one sixty on public property in the mountains, and um, you know he, he's he, he's easy one sixty five. That's a you man know, right there. About one sixty. <laughs> well, one thing that you yeah. said right there that really gets me fired up is how you do have like a passion for hunting public land, and that's kind of something that we'd like to relate with a lot of our listeners is that you don't have to have thousands of dollars into a lease or buy your own property to be able to get on good deer and have a great hunting experience year in, year out. Because I uh, went pretty much 100% this year on hunting just public land uh, locally, and I absolutely love it. I love the challenge. I love getting out, learning a bunch of different land, having thousands upon thousands of acres to hunt on, and have different experiences that you cannot have on you know a couple hundred acres of private land. And I love meeting guys like yourself that have the same kind of passion for, you know, doing something that's, you know, not as common and doing something that's, you know, more adventurous and having fun while doing it. Even if you might not be successful, like myself this year, uh, I wasn't able to harvest a deer in Alabama, had multiple opportunities, but I couldn't make it happen. But even with that happening, I learned a lot this year after hunting public land and still have a passion for it and will be doing it every year I get the chance to. Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't. I didn't. Har- I harvest. I killed some deer. Um, I didn't kill a buck. I killed uh, some does, um, but I didn't kill a buck. I had one good buck come by me, and that's one thing about public property, or that's just as hunting. Um, you know, that's hunting. Period. I mean, you can have, you know, rough seasons and, and struggle, and and you know, deer they're wild. Um, there's going to be things that, that take place, but there's one thing that I really love. You, talked about thousands and thousands of acres one thing i really love about public property is when you find a deer you can keep hunt you can hunt him if you have public property and you're, you have 200 acres and you're getting nighttime pictures of a buck there's a chance that you may that you realistically the only window of opportunity that you have at that buck could possibly be during the rut which is basically bingo because there's no telling where he's going to be but if you find that deer on public property and he's in the middle of you know, 10,000 acres, um, you can guarantee that you have his entire home range. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's there, he's, he's available to you. And that's one reason this year I didn't kill, uh, one was I, I did have one good buck come in bow range. I mean, he come 10 yards of me and he just stopped at the wrong spot. And then, and he started going again and he didn't stop again. So, but uh, you know, that's bow hunting. But, oh, yeah. um, been there, done that. Exactly. But I have a buck, not not the buck I talked about with my son. There's 
it could be him, but I don't think it's a different buck. And this this buck I found him this year. Um, I found some of his rubs early. Well, not real early. I found them um, mid October, and just right right when they when they're here in Arkansas, anyways, where at, where he's at. Maybe if you're in southern Alabama, you know, it may be a little early for the rut. But uh, I know probably northern Alabama's got you know that typical November rut. Um, Alabama, Alabama, where y'all are, has has a has a, a really diverse rut. Y'all can basically um, there's from some maps and stuff I've studied. There's you can start hunting a rut in October in certain spots, plumb to January. Yeah, um, man. Where I live now, uh, the deer are still chasing right now. Uh, they're right, kind of winding it's, down. It's middle of February. Yeah, it's the last day of season here, and they are still chasing. Yeah, exactly. So that y'all have a, a really unique, and I, that's one thing with the South here in Arkansas. We have the same thing. Uh, maybe not quite as as deep into the rut, but we have. I killed a doe probably. I don't know. It's been some years back. It's been probably four or five years ago or something. And I have a deal I got from. Uh, QDMA I bought it's a it, it you can if you kill a doe that's this pregnant um, you can measure the fetus but I killed this doe uh, I, I was out of buck tags and I, I killed her on the weekend of Thanksgiving and she was pregnant and I was like wow that seems like so I, I took the fetus and measured it and you can and it tell and you can you can tell you when that when she was bred um, she was bred in the middle of October wow so here in the south of the, the rut I can actually kick off pretty early um, here in Arkansas, so, and I know for sure if you get you you talked or one of y'all had talked about hunting the River Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get into eastern Arkansas, you get close to that Mississippi River. Um, you're talking, you know, late December rut, going into you know early January. Um, so there's there's a diverse rut here, and that that has a lot of the southern states. I know Louisiana has a the same thing. Texas can go really late. Um, Georgia, same thing. Mississippi, I got a buddy in Mississippi that um, he, he calls me a lot, and, and he's got a really good lease. Um, and he's got some friends that, that's got insane amounts of money in some of the stuff. But he gets to hunt a lot of properties. And I met him through deerhuntingschool.com. He, he emails me, and, and uh, me and him, you know, I think he bought a lot of my videos, and then he started uh, emailing me, and me and him got to talking and whatever. But anyways, he kills a lot of big bucks, and, and he, um, their deer don't even shed, start shedding until middle of October, which here in Arkansas is, uh, I'm like, the middle, he's like, yeah, uh, he sent me a picture of a buck. He said, what do you think I let that deer walk? I said, man, you're crazy. It's like a 150-inch eight-point. He let it walk. Oh. I was like, you're nuts. And, uh, <laughs> and it's a southern deer. There's some big deer down here in the south. You know, one thing, he's got a really good lease. That makes a huge difference. If you've got if you've got the right property, um, that's everything. I see guys a lot get so stuck on. And I, and I, and I talk inches a lot, but I, I, I guarantee you 125-inch deer comes by me. I'm shooting him unless I'm hunting a spot and I know my trail camera that that particular buck is running with one really on a regular basis that's a lot bigger I'm shooting that deer you know I mean I'm not hunting up in in Iowa or something like that where you 
know, guys are letting 130-inch, 140-inch deer walk all the time. Where I'm hunting, you know, people are shooting 100-inch 100, 100 deer. I mean, they're shooting anything. Well, here in Arkansas, we got three-point roll. So they're shooting. There's guys that are shooting anything that's, that's legal. Um, and I'm sure that goes on a lot in Alabama. That's, you know, the typical hunting. So I'm shooting, you know, whatever. You know, if it's 100, 120, 125 inches, I'm, I'm shooting the deer. But I do talk about, you know, 150, 160 inch deer because they're there. I have, I had trail camera pictures of them. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of guys that just, you know, they don't, uh, they think, you know, just because they're in the south, that they're, that them, deer, that them deer aren't there, but they are in spots. You know, but I see a lot of guys that get hung up on that, what they see on TV and things like that, and they're, they're out to kill that, but they're hunting areas that don't have them deer. You know, if you have them deer, by all means hunt them, but I, I particularly, you know, hunt, I hunt the upper average of what deer I get on trail campers and, through the summer. Well, with that being said, I totally agree with you on that, and that's something that gets a lot of guys kind of like, it makes them feel unsuccessful when they're only getting pictures of 120 inch deer on their property. And you know, the guy down the road is getting a picture of 150 inches on. They're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm going to pass this deer because this and that. But you got to realize that not everywhere you are going to hunt, there is a absolute giant deer. You know, your, your threshold for your area, you're hunting just because of habitat and just the biodiversity. And when it comes to just the, the food source for the animals, you know, it might be hard to find a deer that's over 130 inches. So don't feel bad shooting a 110, 115-inch buck if, you know, that's like one of the, th- like possibly like the threshold for your area that you're hunting. There's nothing wrong with that. And I totally agree with that. I'm a uh, hunter that, you know, if I get the opportunity to shoot a decent deer, I'm going to be able to do that. And I'm not going to feel any regret, regret before, or regret for it just because, you know, I'm hunting for the adventure, but also for the experience too. Uh, I have n- nothing against guys that hunt uh, for meat. You know, if that's your deal, do that. I, I love the meat, but I also love a trophy, and I love the opportunity to harvest and get the chance to harvest a bigger deer. And it's more of a challenge. I like the challenge. I think a lot of guys like that too. And that's one thing that draws me to hunt, you know, different places throughout the state. Uh, me and Andrew do a little bit of traveling um, throughout Alabama, hunt a couple different wildlife management areas, and definitely like to do that more during turkey season and come next deer season. And I love the opportunity to go to these different places and just be able to harvest a deer. I mean, as long as it's legal, just be able to have the experience and the adventure to go to a place you've never been before or have very little experience and be able to harvest a good deer, I think's you know, great. And like you said, again, you know, some guys kind of get all bummed out just because they might not have a what they call, call a giant on camera, a big deer on camera, and they're going to pass. And, I mean... To be honest, that's kind of how uh, my family farm set up. We have a family farm in central Alabama, and again, it's about 89 acres. It's not a big piece of property at all, but the last couple of years, probably five or six years ago, we had uh, 160-inch deer on camera multiple times, and my uncle, who manages the property, he kind of got all tied up on that, and you know, we didn't shoot any bucks for a couple of years because we were you know, trying to hold out for this big deer. While you know we were having plenty of deer in like the you know, 115, 120-inch range, but we could just kept letting them go. Because, you know, we thought there should be something bigger. And, again, turns to find out, you know, that 160-inch deer was pretty much a once-in-every-decade deer for that area. I mean, we haven't seen in the last seven years another quality deer that even touches that. I mean, for the most part, on that piece of property, you're not getting a picture of a deer over 125 inches at the most. 
So if you get the opportunity to take a deer in that category of 120 inches to 115 inches, I mean, you better do it. I mean, cause that's the opportunity you're going to get on that piece of property. So again, it's very, uh, diverse on where you're hunting on what you're capable of hunting and be able to harvest on that piece of property oh exactly it it can even be miles just just a few miles can make a huge difference mm-hmm. yeah. um you know like you talked about that that buck i mean there could be some some there could be a sanctuary or something close by to where he, he's been able to live and, and get old and a lot of that has to do with particular deer i mean it's just like humans i mean you see you see some really big guys and there's you know average guys and there's small guys um you know a, a big buck that's got a big set of horns is he, he's basically like a really big person you know um you know each individual deer and you can even see it through families i've seen it with this you know siblings I mean, you know one of them will be big and want to be medium and, and small um so you know, some reason I think it's just it's just the way God made all of us. And everything is there's diversity with things, but um, definitely, uh, you know, one thing that I, I noticed, and, and I've done by listening to podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm running on treadmill a lot. I run on tread. I exercise and stuff a lot, which a lot of people in my videos. I haven't made videos in a while, but I've lost you know probably about pound um, exercising and stuff, but. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I learn a lot um, from listening to other guys. Even, I think, one thing a lot of guys think, they think, well, that you know, um, say like they're, you know, they want to hear from, you know, say Michael Waddell. I mean, uh, he's killed all these monster bucks. They want to hear how he hunts and things like that. And, you know, he's a celebrity hunter. He's actually my favorite, um, you know, celebrity hunter of all time that's why i talked about him some but he um he's a good hunter there's no doubt you know he knows some things but a lot of i think a huge mistake that a lot of people make is they cancel out some of what some people say um i read a lot of everybody's stuff if somebody's killed one deer i like to know how in the heck he killed that deer you know what if that's the only deer they've ever killed um i like to hear you know how did they kill that deer um, you know, because you can learn something from every individual, um, and, you know, things like that. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something that a lot of guys get hung up to with, you know, they want to know how, how did he, this guy killing his boon and crocs. And there, there are guys that I, I've studied a lot that can consistently kill big, big deer, but they have there's a way to do it. I mean, you have to have, you have, to have the property and things. And, um, but I am, I get the rush, you know, out of being able to go on to public property where a lot of guys hunt and be successful with good deer. I've killed some good, I've killed some good bucks. I've never killed nothing that I consider a monster. Um, but you know, in the areas I hunt, you know, some of the deer that I've killed are, really big deer for them areas you know there are some bigger deer um i've got trail camera pictures of, of deer bigger than i've killed i've helped i've helped a few guys kill deer way bigger than i've ever even seen um you know through my deer hunting school thing but the uh, i'm definitely with you on the i love the challenge of figuring the deer out and then you know going there and it's it's really a challenge when you have 
deer that are really smart because when you're talking public land deer, um, them deer, they, they if they're dumb, they're dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just all there is to it. I mean, they, you walk, if, if he walks out in the open in the daytime, he's going to be riding the back of somebody's truck unless they miss him. You know, I mean, where I hunt, I don't know if, if, if you know, with the public land that you hunted on was uh, like mine, but I mean, I, I set my wife up in a clear cut one time. There was a bunch of deer crossing from, from one thicket to another. It was one of them newer clear cuts. They were feeding in the clear cut. But there was an older clear cut on one side and another one, uh, one to the south and one to the north. And the deer were crossing and they would feed along the way. And I set her up in the middle of it and I hunted down at the bottom. And these guys coming driving down the road, shoot the deer come out right at dark and um, coming up towards her and they're shooting at them off the road. Um, these yeah. guys riding around shooting the deer out of their, out of their vehicles all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and it's illegal, but guys do it. Uh, you know, so that them deer definitely the pressure makes them a lot tougher to kill. You know, if you don't understand, if you understand how to hunt pressure deer, there's ways to do it. They're still tougher. I mean, you know, they're harder to kill than you know going in you know Kansas in a in a managed area that gets you know five or six hundred a year on a on a on a particular piece of property. They're they're harder to kill than that. But if you get to them areas like you talked about you know you go through two valleys you're by yourself i had a uh, area i was hunting this buck found i haven't seen him um, i'm going to put trail cameras in there this this summer and see what he is but he's he, he's consistently rubbing uh six and eight inch diameter trees mm. um and i haven't i haven't figured him out and that's one thing about public property is a lot of times you, you know y'all had asked about um postseason scouting we're probably going to talk about postseason scouting a lot of times i do a lot of scouting through the season um if i don't really have something really super figured out i'll kind of scout and hunt along and kind of just go with the deer but sometimes it takes a couple years to to really figure you know when you're hunting one particular buck it takes a couple years to kind of figure him out sometimes um by hunting you know back off main stuff finding his rub lines hunting back off and then seeing what the deer are doing in a particular area and how they're using it and then sometimes it takes you know a year uh or two to figure that out and then really get in when, when you're hunting one particular deer oh yeah for um, sure well another thing know. kind of going off what you just said too um about you know like say michael waddell and you know like the tiffany's and everything or lee and tiffany um uh, I mean, one thing that I think gets a lot of people stuck in their head is you're not a you're not a good hunter unless you kill a 180 inch deer, and that is so not true, especially in the South. I mean, for your opportunity to harvest a deer over 160 in the South is so so small unless you are hunting like either a high fence preserve or you're just hunting some very very uh, managed well managed property, and I think that's kind of ruined hunting a little bit. I mean, I respect those people to death, but. You know, they make it seem so easy to go out and kill 180 inch, 109 inch, 200 inch deer, and they're passing 160 inch deer. That makes it almost unreal for us to just go out there and, you know, shoot a 120 inch deer. I mean, people just look at it and like, oh, it's not the same anymore. You know, you don't really get the congratulations or anything like that, uh, like you would back in the day, just because everyone's so used to seeing people put down these giant deer that, you know, the average guy like you and me, you know, 
us being able to get this a decent deer on the ground is you know nothing anymore and that's kind of sad but another thing that you kind of talked about on a little lighter note is you know how you like you know finding guys out you know that they've killed big deer and like how they went about doing it where i'm more interested instead of one guy just being able to harvest one big buck in his lifetime and hearing the story about it because i mean i'm not gonna lie some guys get lucky some guys put in the work for it it's just however it comes down but i would almost rather listen to people kind of like yourself that just have the experience and can consistently be on deer and get on deer throughout the season year after year i that, to me i take that uh, into consideration a lot more because of that experience and what you would bring to the table and other guys like you would bring to the table just from your experience of being able to get on deer consistently because to me that's almost more important than just being able to harvest one giant buck uh, if you can consistently be on get on deer year after year uh, maybe not have the opportunities to harvest one because of this or that but just be able to be on the deer i think is you know key to be successful to me that's why divine uh that's why you know picture success i mean be able to harvest the deer yes that's topping it off but be able to find the deer year after year is you know key to that yeah man uh, one oh. thing one thing that yeah. i noticed about what you said jacob is you said mm-hmm. something about no matter uh what somebody kills you want to know how they killed that deer and i think that's like that's such an important point for people who are kind of learning how to hunt or even if you've been hunting for a long time is that you've you've got to be an avid learner because some of the oldest best hunters i know will tell you they're like man i learn something new every time i go in the woods you you never stop learning so that's an that's an awesome point you made about always wanting to know like how somebody did it or like knowing different tactics or techniques yeah, it's um, you know, a lot of a lot of people doesn't they don't look at what how they they I guess if they they consider themselves a better hunter than somebody else, so they kind of just blow them off with their they don't they don't want to really, you know listen to what they say. I see a lot when you get a group of guys around, and, you know, someone killed their first deer or something, and 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 you know a lot of people most most hunters are proud they're proud that you know because somebody introduced them to it. I mean let's face it this is actually you know our sport is a declining sport um you know in reality it, it is as far as percentage compared to the you know the human population is growing and the percentage of hunters is going down mm-hmm, yeah. you know where it should be going up and i mean if you look at it in a, in, a, in a as a hunter you know that's a good thing because it just leaves <laughs> us more deer to hunt but in, in reality i mean there's i mean i have kids um they like to hunt a little bit, but they don't like it like, like I did. And, you know, and some other guys that I, I grew up with liked it and things like that. I mean, I absolutely loved hunting. I, mean, I had buddies of mine that were upset at me because I was going hunting or fishing instead of uh, going and hanging out. I mean, I was like, you know, what what the heck's wrong with y'all? I mean, I can go kill deer and I can go catch fish or, you know, even squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, whatever. I was, I was, you know, they're like, well, why don't you want to go hang out? I'm like, man, there's something wrong with y'all, but... <laughs> um, you don't see that. that. I mean, there's a few people like that, but you don't see it as, as much. And I think one point, I think it was Jacob brought it up, was I think, you know, and, and I'm not bashing guys on TV. I, I watch deer hunt all the time. I, I, I record my DVR gets full of deer hunting shows, and I watch them. But uh, you, you see the it make, they make it look so easy. Um, but it's work to consistently kill deer. On a regular basis is, is a lot of work. 
Yeah, totally agree. Uh, 100%. I mean, to be able to consistently get on deer like that, I mean, it takes a lot of hard work and just a passion for it. I mean, very rarely do you have someone that just goes out there and wings it and be able to get a good deer. I mean, I have known people, actually, my brother being one of those people that the last couple of years I'd hang some stands and do a lot of work on some stands and he'd come in hunt and kill a really, really good deer. And we're actually sitting right now in front of two of them on the wall. And uh, again, I mean... Sometimes it's a little bit of luck, but a lot of times it's a lot of uh, patience and this, this, you know, hard work that can get it done for you. Oh yeah, and one thing though that I, I talk about in some of my videos, y'all, y'all may not have seen them, but one thing I talk about is that there's a luck factor and there's skill with hunting, um, and skill ultimately is going to prevail, you know. But to be consistent, you got you have to have skill because luck. I mean, you can take someone that's never hunted. They go out, they, they shoot a rifle a few times and learn how to shoot it. They can, they can go out in the woods, set up, and, and kill a you know a record. Their chances of killing a, a record book deer is the same as anyone else's at that moment, you know, at that one particular hunt. But every time that a skilled hunter goes out, um, every single time he goes out in the woods over a period of time, his chances are going to consistently be about the same where uh, someone that just, you know, wings it, you know, they have that, they have it, for them to kill one is just luck and their chances are going to be the same every time. They're going to be just, just a lucky, you know, lucky streak when they kill a deer. Um, and, and I'll tell you another thing that I've, I've with that, the bad thing for that person that's just winging it or don't want to, you know, take the time to read you know or I, I mean i think anything podcasts are good uh magazines are good watching deer hunting you got to be careful what you take in and out um you don't want to use set your expectations too high i think but anything that you can learn is going to progressively move you forward but if you're just going out hunting you're going the luck is going to run out and the skill the skillful hunter is going to keep continuously get better as he's learning the, the more skill he learns the better of a, of a deer hunter they're going to become the more deer they're going to be on i remember when i was a teenager i mean I, it was it was something for me to see a deer i mean i was it was just something i didn't know nothing about really you know i was just out there hunting um i mean it's basically put me out on, in the woods I, I didn't care if i killed one but I, you know it was something for me to see a deer and now it's i mean i have certain stands that I, if I if I say you know what I want some deer meat, I can go to the, a stand because I, I I've kind of patterned the deer and stuff for so long. I have certain stands that it's almost you know I'm going to kill a deer today. I'm going to I'm going to harvest deer and it, you know it's not a hundred percent, but there I have stands that I would say are eighty percent or higher that I'm going to kill a deer with a bow and arrow. Hmm. Um, you know on almost on you know and I can't do that every day of the deer season. But there are times that I can say I'm going to kill a deer, and there's an 80% chance I'm going to kill a deer with a bow and arrow on public property. Um, and that's that skill where you take somebody that just wings it, they're going out. I, I don't know what percentage chance may be, but one in 100 probably. You know, if you're just going out setting up randomly, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe one in 100 or, or something. You know, it may be three in 100 or whatever. It's not a very good chance. But that person, you know, they may kill a deer before me. I may go three times having, you know, a 90% chance of killing a deer. 
you know, there's still a 10% chance I'm not going to kill one. Well, I go the next time, I may have a 90% chance. There's still a 10% chance I'm not going to kill one. The odds that change each time, but, you know, where that person might kill them, a new a person may go out and wing it, you know, not studying and, and, and doing their homework or something. They may go out and just wing it. They may kill it. You know, during the first two or three times, but after years, I'm going to continuously, and not just me. There's a lot of skilled hunters out there. Um, lots of guys. There's guys who are they're way better than me. Um, they hunt. They get to hunt a lot more than me. Um, you know, but there's lots of skilled hunters. There, over periods of time, they're going to they're going to continuously be on the deer. Um, where someone that just wings it's just. You know, without studying, and, and, and even a lot of guys, I, they go out and kill a deer. And you ask them, well, you know, where'd you kill it at? And they don't even know. I mean, they just, I was sitting by a tree. I'm like, well, you know, was you, was it oak trees, pine? Oh, it was just a tree. They don't even know if it was oak trees around <laughs> them or pine trees or whether they were sitting by a creek or a clear cut or nothing. They're just in the woods. Yep. And that's the way I used to be. I mean, I knew, you know, oak trees and pine trees, but at, at, when I was, you know, obviously I was really young. I was just in the woods, so it's not a bad thing. It's it's not, but they haven't learned much, you know. So definitely, you know, when you get out and you kill a deer, you need to soak in and see, you know, the environment around you because usually, most of the time, that deer's there for a reason. Not just, it's not. You may have randomly killed the deer, but that deer wasn't just randomly there most of the time. Sometimes they randomly do things, but most, I would say 95% of the time or higher, they're there for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, they're feeding on something or they're going to a bedding area. There's, there's something there that's got them there, and you can duplicate that most of the time. Well, yeah, for sure, and, uh, you know, like you said just then, you know, deer are always on a path to somewhere. They're rarely ever just doing something randomly, you know, it's always pretty much from bed to food, food to bed. And during the rut, you know, your bucks are going to try to check out those doe bedding areas. I mean, he's going to do his rounds and he might randomly appear somewhere while doing those rounds. But, you know, deer are always on a, uh, pretty much on a mission to do something or go somewhere and do something. But let's talk a bit, a little bit more about yourself and your hunting um, background with what's your setup for hunting, especially I kind of want to talk a little bow hunting. What's your setup for hunting, say, like public land? Uh, what's your stand set up, and what all do you use? Um, you know, I use, I use most, of the, I have some pre-hang stands set up, um, and usually I set them on the, these spots that are well-known. I mean, they're for sure areas, and these are areas that I've learned from, usually I, I, I look at aerial photo, like I talked about, I find something or an area that has limited supply of something, and then I'll, I'll go in. Usually, um, I go in June. I like to put my trail cameras out in June. Um, and the reason for that is is because if I'm getting pictures of bugs, it's hard to tell April what, what you're looking at because, you know, they're just starting to grow their horns. They, you know, from June to July, they put on some mass. You can tell what – or they put on a lot of inches – put on a lot of growth so you can tell what you have as far as bucks go um so i'll put my trail cameras out and i'll see what kind of what's coming in the area and it takes you know to have a to have a spot where i go and i hang a a pre-hung stand that's going to be there all season long 
Um, it takes, you know, I have to have some, I have to have some confidence in the area. So I have some of them areas. Um, a lot of that, I, I, I'll just be honest. A lot of my stand locations are around water, um, especially my bow hunting. Early season here in Arkansas, it's brutal hot. I mean, I've hunted in 95 degrees a lot. And, and I know you guys in Alabama have done the same. Y'all, y'all, oh, yeah. If you're hunting early season, I mean, you're out there in 95 degrees. Yeah. And you're burning up. You're sweating like a dog. Um, and, and, you know, them deer going through the same stuff. They can't, they don't, actually, they don't get to go in, in sitting air conditioning when they're done hunting or when we're done hunting. They're, they're stuck out there. I mean, I hunt a lot of water early season. I have stand locations set up um, on that. And I hunt that a lot. One thing that I do do is I use a I use a climbing stand, um, and that's that's what I consider my running gun stand. I, I've killed quite a few bucks running and gunning early season. You know that first week or two of bow season, um, and I do that a lot by finding um, fresh rubs. And when you find fresh rubs early, early in the season, here in Arkansas, our season opens in the latter part of September. When you find fresh rubs at that period of time, them bucks have just just shed their velvet. They're just starting to rub trees. They're in their summer pattern. And I've studied some some uh, some oh, I've studied some collared deer a lot um, early season bucks just don't move they i mean they move but they don't move very far um they're in a small area so when you find them them fresh rubs you're in that deer's core area uh, and it's usually you know uh bachelor groups of bucks so them rubs start popping up and I've, I've killed a lot of deer like that and i'll set up on the rub line because them rubs are there for a reason that's the route that they're taking to and from their food sources um, and then the rut, I I hunt some of my I hunt water, you know, quite a bit in the rut, especially if it's unseasonably warm days. I'll, I'll almost always be on on water uh, because the bucks are moving a lot. They're you know when they start chasing the does, the does are moving a lot. They're going to need more water, you know, when it's warmer. So I hunt that a lot. But one particular thing that I do with water, I don't just go out and just find water and hunt it. I'll set up a stand on it without even running a trail camera if it has certain things. If there's bedding, I mean, you know, we're talking south, we're talking in thick pine thickets or an old clear cut um, that's, you know, 15 years or less where it's really thick, it's really nasty. I like the young clear cuts that are at three to three to 10 years. Um, if that's, if it's being clear cut around a pond, if that's within 200 yards of it, um, I'll almost, I'll just almost immediately set up a stand on it. Um, I like it really when them ponds are inside of one of them clear cuts that's been cut that's that's this less than fifteen years old, mm-hmm. and that's typical. It's almost rare here in the South that you get a pine stand that's that's much older than ten years without it being cut on. Because, you know, in Alabama, they do the same thing as they do here. They, they'll come in, um, they'll clear-cut something, and they'll plant new pine trees. And then them things grow up, and they're thick. 
But then as they start shading each other out, they come in and they strip them and, and send them. And that's usually about pretty close to about 15 years. They start shading each other out and killing everything under the bottom. And it's basically useless for deer. But soon after that, they'll come in and strip it. And then when they strip it, it opens up that ground and you have all that new growth. So it's rare that you have over 15 years, but I hunt that almost, um, I will hunt almost always have a set of stand if I have that. Um, if I have the bedding within 200 yards, if I have a pond inside of one of them clear cuts or one of them big thickets and pine plantation type stuff that's inside that thicket, I will always set a stand up on i have multiple stands set up on them on public property guys have a tough time getting to it and in one of the courses i have i actually that's what i did uh i think it's what is the name it's finding and hunting pressured nocturnal mature rutting bucks is the name of the course i actually went in and i showed what i done i found a pond inside of one of these and explained it It was actually where they they went in and, and they thinned cut a bunch of pines which allowed it the undergrowth to grow up and what i done was took a pair of hand pruners in and I, I took a gps and i marked it you know off my computer and transferred it over to my gps and i walked straight in and, and i cut me a i walked in and then i cut me a trail straight out with a pair of hand pruners and i started going in and out and and i actually missed on video and one of my videos probably I, I would say about a 130-inch uh, eight-point I missed on, on, in one of my videos on that particular spot. Man, that's heartbreaking. It's, it's one of them stand locations. And then, I, you know, you know, rut, I do a lot of the running, gunning kind of stuff too. I'm always, I think any hunter, especially if you're on public property and it's a big area, you need to be versatile. I mean, if you're sitting somewhere um, and there's no deer around, I mean, if you're not, if you're sitting somewhere and you're not seeing any deer, there's something going on. Um, you need to, you need to try to find something else that's going on. I mean, look for some fresh sign or something. I, I don't ne, I don't never. I think one mistake that that guys make, especially weekend hunters and, and a lot of guys probably think that, that I if you watch my videos and stuff you probably think I hunt all the time I actually own a tree service and and I, I hunt most weekend I get to hunt a little more than the average person but I hunt a lot of uh, most of I hunt the weekend and there will be times where I will literally spend entire day of, of my two days that I get to hunt on a weekend or something looking um you know, because it's, I can just tell it's not right. I mean, I go in somewhere and the sign's not there. Um, you know, early season, if I'm hunting something that doesn't have fresh rubs around, I don't, and I'm, and I'm wanting to kill a buck, if there's not fresh rubs around, there's no sense in hunting there because they're, you're not on a bachelor group of bucks. So I will literally go and take off walking until I find rubs right in the middle of season and that's where I do my running gun. That's where I use climbing stand a lot. And I and a lot of guys, are, I think, that hunt weekends are so scared to do that because all they have is two days, and they feel like 
the only chance they have is sitting on a stand, which is, which if you're on, if you're, if you've got a good location, a good spot, that's, that's what you need to do is be sitting there. You need to be sitting in a good spot. But if there's not, you know, and I, I, I'm not trying to say just get up and start scouting through the middle of, you know, deer season all the time. But if you're not, if you're hunting and you're not seeing any deer, like if you're, if you're in this, it's in the middle of the rut, other than lockdown, if you're in, if you're in the lockdown with the peak breeding phase and you're not seeing deer, the, the reason most of the time is a lot of the deer locked down. I mean, they're, they're running a really small pattern. They're not covering a lot of ground. Um, but if you're, if you're in that, if you're, in, say you have a November rut and you're in the beginning of November and you're not seeing deer, um, at all, something's going on. Yeah. It's time you need to go find, find some fresh scrapes, some rubs, or something where there's some sign. If there's no sign around you, fresh sign, and you're not seeing deer, you need to go find some sign. And that's where I use my running gun stuff. And I totally, well, I totally agree with what you're saying with the aspect of staying mobile. That's something that I preach to a lot of people. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of our, our my group, the uh, Running Gun Whitetail Hunters, but that is my passion is to stay mobile on public land. I love that live for that. I, I like the ability to get up and go when the deer are not there and hunt the deer and not hunt a spot. Um, I mean, you can sit somewhere, you know, you know, 30 times. And if you're not seeing any deer there, what there's no point is staying in that one location. You know, I truly believe staying mobile, even on private land, if you have a big club or a big lease, I think that's a great way because you can hunt slash scout, especially if you're new to the property. I mean, that's the best way to learn because you can scout all the, all, all you want in the off season, but you truly don't know how the deer use the property until they are in the season, you know, in November, December, January. Um, so, I mean, that's the best time to be out there and getting that stuff done is during that time of the year. And that's where my running gun setup definitely comes into play. And again, you know, I used to use a climber a lot uh, until it started hindering me on where I could hunt. I know if you hunt a lot of pines, you can get away with a climber because, you know, you get some mature pines, you can get up, you know, 30, 40 feet up in a pine tree, you know, without hitting a limb. Well, where me and Andrew hunt a lot in central Alabama, uh, a lot of places with those bucks and all of those deer are at, uh, you can't really get in there too well with a climber or you're very limited and you're hunting a tree instead of hunting the deer. So I've turned to a, a lock-on setup with a lone wolf uh, alpha stain and some sticks and it, I've loved it. And again, I think the lock-on has a huge advantage if you're hunting really diverse timber where you might not have a chance to, you know, get a climber in a, the exact tree you want to be in. But staying mobile like that is key, I think, on public land just to be able to find those deer and successfully be able to stay on those deer. Yeah, man. And another thing, Jacob, that you said that I really liked was how you're talking about, you know, you might have two days to hunt, but you spend one of those days scouting and getting that really recent information that that is so huge during the season because pretty much every year for me I'll, I'll start out in one place and i'll just constantly move throughout the season until i hit a really good spot and then i i'll hunt that spot pretty hard and that worked out for me pretty good this year and going back to you know send a season now squirrel season i'll be doing a lot of squirrel hunting and i'm gonna get in there where I've been seeing all these deer for a little bit of postseason scouting. I'm probably going to try and shed hunt a little bit, but the main thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go and try and like backtrack these deer because I know I know what's been going on around the perimeter of this certain area, and I know about where the beds are, but it's like the middle of the puzzle is missing. So I'm going to go in there 
kind of backtrack some stuff and look for some of these features that we've talked about. And, uh, you know, you mentioned ponds earlier, and I know where some ponds are in some of the places I hunt, and, you know, those those areas typically hold really good deer, I've found. I've usually, I missed my biggest buck I've ever seen, actually, about 80 yards from a pond in a cutover. So it's funny that you mentioned that, and, you know, I've had the exact same experiences here. A lot of the stuff you're saying, me and Jacob really relate to, and it's, it's cool hearing somebody from Arkansas, you know, having the same same ideas about stuff and facing the same issues that we're facing here in Alabama. Yeah, I mean that's that's. Uh, I think a lot of of from across the country are uh, facing this a lot of the same things because of the uh, you know we're we're all hunting white-tailed deer, um, and you know there's basic fundamentals i mean there's a lot of stuff we we can talk about and there's a lot of stuff that deer do and and, and there's a lot of ways you can kill them but if you can stick to the fundamentals i think you're you're going to be head you know ahead of the game because that's where you know you're 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 taking the you know you're putting skill first and continuously fundamentally hunting sound and you know, doing what the deer are telling you. I mean, they're going to, you know, it sounds crazy. We're talking about realistic deer and none of them talk, you know, they don't speak our language, but, you know, they're going to tell you what they're doing, especially bucks. I mean, they rub trees, um, they make scrapes, you know, they're going to, they're going to tell you, especially with rubs. I'm, I'm big on hunting rubs, um, rub lines and things like that. I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when bucks are rubbing trees, they're rubbing trees. They're not going out, you know, you know, they're not walking, you know a half a mile out of the way to go rub trees to fool us hunters they're rubbing yeah. trees where they're where they're traveling um you know and a lot of guys get hung up on this nighttime stuff you know where they rub rubs at night you know they're rubbing trees at night and, and, you know most of that's true but in reality most deer movement is at night anyways yeah but they're still where the deer are they're they're they're, they're where them rubs are they're using that at different times of the year I know a lot of guys get um, lost, and I used to do this really bad. I used to really, um, I would hunt rubs and not, not, I wouldn't look, I'd just see a rub. I'm like, there's a rub, I'm hunting, or there would be 10, 15, 20 rubs, and I'd just hunt it. And this was back when I was younger, and I really wouldn't put the puzzle together like, I think it was Jacob that was talking about, or, you know, it might have been you, James, that was talking about going in uh, and putting the, the, the center of it together, figuring the puzzle out. Um, yeah, and yeah. It, you know, I didn't do that when I was younger at all. I would just say, "Oh, there's a bunch of rubs." Now I look at the rubs and I'm trying to figure out why are these deer here? Here, most of the time, um, most of the when you have a lot, a lot of rubs in an area, most of the time that's early season stuff. And the reason there's so many rubs is because it's a bachelor group of bucks is coming through there, um, and that's early season. And then they break up and they disperse and go, and go out through rut and they're they're all over the place and they don't use that much and guys get hung up on that and they're hunting it like crazy and you know in 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 the rut which I mean they may kill one there and they may not but they don't think man as me there's a hundred rubs here there ought to be a buck walking through here every day and I think they get to thinking well this because it's only at night time when in reality if they would have been there the first week of October they'd have been they'd have been you know, running arrows through bucks like it's, <laughs> like it's going out of style because there was a bachelor group of bucks coming through there on a regular basis. 
Yeah, man. And you, you read my mind because I was literally just getting ready to ask you, uh, like, what at what point in the season do you put less value on rubs and maybe start paying attention to some other kind of sign? You pretty much answered that. But uh, uh, is there a certain point in the season where you might start paying more attention to, say, scrapes or some other kind of deer sign? Well, the... I think the rubs tell a, a huge thing, but the problem is, is I think you really to to really if you're going to use rubs and deer sign, uh, as far as rubs and scrapes and, and and going from one year to the next, or not from one year to the next, but for say from early October to middle of November, you know if you're going to hunt if you're going to hunt rubs at that time. You've really got to, and, and it's just particularly just rubs. You've got to to be able to read the area as far as I mean. If I have a rub line that's coming from a massive pine thicket and it's headed towards a soybean field, I mean, you know, this is just to make it simple. I know that that's probably not going to be an area I want to hunt during November because that deer was, and that that's the kind of stuff people overlook is where's this rub line going? If it's going from a from a big thicket to a soybean field, that's where a buck or a group of bucks was using during the summertime while the they were feeding on the soybeans. But now, if I'm if I'm if you know if I'm scouting or, or I'm hunting, you know, say middle of November in a rut, and I have a big thicket cl- pretty close to another big thicket, and there's a rub line that's connecting these two thickets, that's connecting one bedding area to another that's a key rub line in scrapes in between or whatever um the that's a huge thing but one thing that i do with rubs is i look at the food source if 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 i'm hunting white oaks i know that here in arkansas our white oaks start dropping usually about the middle of october and i'm i hunt white oaks a lot um you know it's deer's preferred food if you've got white oak acorns dropping, they're going to abandon almost anything, and they're going to be feeding on white oaks 90-plus percent of the time. So I'm going, at that point, I'm looking for rub lines that's leading in to and from scrapes and stuff around them, you know, and I'll abandon any other rubs that were hunting previously. Now, I do definitely, in the rut, um, rubs, um, I, I kind of ignore them a lot because I don't feel like the bucks are going to be making as many rubs when they're at, when the when the serious active breeding's going on yeah. um, because they're they're with does I mean they're still going to rub trees you know that's what bucks do but they're they're thinking about does I mean I obviously like I said earlier if if, if I find you know a, a a bedding area close to another bedding area and there's there's a rub line connecting the two i'm definitely going to want to key in on that during the rut because bucks are going from one doe bedding from one bedding area to another checking checking does but a lot of times i'll ignore them them rubs in in that seeking phase and that and that chasing phase and stuff because that's when it's that's when it goes from where the bucks are really to i start looking at where the does are um, and I think a lot of people overlook that as well when they're hunting, you know, early season. If I'm seeing a lot of does, most of the time, I, early season, I'm getting out of that area. 
I want to because for the most part, what I've seen is when you have a lot of does in the area, it's a doe area early season, and the bucks will kind of be off to their to their self. They may be close by, but they're kind of hang out by their self. But when the rut comes in, then I'll move back over to where I was seeing them does because it, it, it makes a shift. I mean, when the rut comes in, it's all about the does. You know, and, you know, I mean, there's going to be rubs and scrapes and stuff in, in, around them areas, but the bucks are going to, I tend to not worry about the rubs so much when the rut comes in. And I think a lot of guys go in, they're going in looking for rubs. I mean, which is a good thing. It's always good to look for rubs, especially if you're going to be hunting the next season. I mean, if you're scouting and, and you see a rub line, it, by all means, pay attention to it look at what's going on because that may be where you kill that buck next year early bow season or something or you know in muzzleload i know our muzzleload season here in arkansas is is it a well they moved it this year was was weird um they moved it towards the beginning of the seeking phase in late october which threw a loop in, in a lot of things um that was a really good time to bow hunt you know, to where there was, there was, it, it threw a loop and it changed the hunting season a little bit. Yeah. Because it was in the middle of October when the deer were making that transition off of, off of feeding it on, on greenery to, to feeding on acorns and stuff to where they went to, you know, that, that time where you could bow hunt between middle of October towards the, the rifle season starts, you know, early November. That, that time where there's not, not many people in the woods and you can bow hunt and not have a lot of hunt pressure and the deer are really, you know, relaxed and stuff to where there was quite a few people in the woods during that time and there was some hunt pressure going on and it, and it had deer acting a little different. But I think that, you know, the short answer to your question is, it is I focus on rubs and, and, and buck sign really heavily early season because I know that they're, they're they're in a real small area. The bucks are, are, are in a really small, what you would call a core area. Um, and then they expand their range. They start covering their, their entire home range during the rut. Um, and I focus a little less on the, on the rubs during that time. Um, and I may focus more on scrapes and stuff during that the, the hardcore rut but one thing I focus on on scrapes, any, a lot of times during the rut, I really like to get downwind, hundred yards or so, um, of where a lot of the heavy, heavy deer sign is, because I feel like, like the bucks, or, or, or say there's a, and it's kind of, you know, there's an area where a lot of does are, a doe bedding area. I like to be on, say the wind's coming out of the north, I would want to tend to be on that southern side of it because a buck, he's, a lot of times he's going to he's gonna just cruise by the area on the downwind side and he's just going to scent check it as he cruises through. Um, and I know anybody that's, you know, hunted a lot during that seeking phase and stuff, um, I mean, the buck, they're, they're moving. You know they're going from point A to point B, and and they're covering some ground. And a lot of times they're they're using their nose um, to just check to just check them areas as they cruise through scrapes, 
scrape lines, stuff like that. A lot of times I'll just circle downwind of it, never even actually come up to the scrape. Um, and you can see that a lot if you if you'll get downwind of them. You know, depending on if it's really thick, they're going to be a little bit tighter to it. Um, and I'll tell you one thing that it's a uh, if there is a a break in the topography, like if you have a scrape line and there's like a, a small ridge or incline and there's like a break, then bucks a lot of times, if there's a if there's a, like a higher ground downwind of that area, they'll almost always cruise right on the edge of that break. You know, if it's a, if, it, if that break is 100 yards down or 50 yards, that's one, one spot to key in on. And if you get downwind of that stuff, you'll see a lot more of them, especially the bigger bucks. They've got it figured out. They know what's going on. They know that, you know, if they're older deer, they know what estrus doe smells like where your younger buck's kind of trying to figure things out. They're more apt to get intermingled with some does that aren't really in estrus yet. You know, it's where your, it's where your older bucks are going to just cover some ground. They're going to scent check the does when they smell them. When they smell does is right, then they're going to come in, um, you know, and check things out a little more. And I totally agree with you on that because, you know, and I think an issue with a lot of other hunters, uh, especially, you know, just a little less experienced hunters, uh, will sit right on top of scrapes. And like you said, you know, the deer are not going to necessarily walk right up to that scrape to smell it. I mean, their nose is so good that, like you said, you know, they'll get on that downwind side, especially on a, a very predominant wind, you know, looking at like a north-northwest wind. They're going to be to the south-southeast you know, whether, you know, it's 20 yards or 100 yards away just so they can scent check that area and don't have to come all the way in there. So if you're hunting on top of that scrape, you know, you might not ever see that buck that's right behind you downwind and he already, you know, smelled you and he's already taken off. You know, he might not, you know, blow at you or anything, but, you know, you just ruined that little spot. But to yeah. tra- but the transition from that uh, to our next question is, if you had a pick other than the rut, and I know Arkansas is a very long season, don't y'all go to the end of February? Yeah. Okay. Our season's still going. I, I haven't been hunting. I'm thinking about. I've been thinking about kind of going and just shooting a doe, but you know it's not over. But it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I I just I, I get. I'm like I, I hunt a, really hard and long, and I take my kids hunting, my wife hunting. I could do a lot of hunting. I just I just get burnt out on it. And I'm thinking about fishing a lot, but yeah, our season's still open. Yeah, and one of our, uh, speaking about that, one of our uh, team members for Running Gun, Whitetail Hunters, uh, he hunts just north of Clarksville up there in the Ozark Mountains, and uh, he had four shed bucks come past him today while I was in the stand, so I thought that was pretty interesting that they're already dropping antlers. But to transition to this next question, if you had a pick, you know, again, y'all have a very long season, but if you had a pick one time in the year other than the rut to hunt, and it was either early season, first couple weeks of bow season, or in that later season, you're talking, you know, mid-January on, what would you pick either that early season or that late season to hunt, and why? Uh, it's hands down. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It'd be early season. Um, hmm. The one I've talked about a lot was the fact that these bucks are in really small areas. Um, I feel like if I can find them fresh rubs, um, that I'm in their core area. And I feel, and you know, I I'm pretty skilled. I've I've done it a long time, um, but even a, a fairly unskilled hunter, I think that could go in. I mean, you, you you know what a rub? If they know what a rub looks like, you look at the rub, you get a couple of rubs, you can kind of see where the rub line is. 
if you set up on that in bow range, um, even an unskilled hunter, I mean, he could be hunting it with the wind wrong and everything. If he gets up high enough, um, you know, we're talking 25, 30 foot up, a lot of his scent is going to, especially in the morning when you have thermals mm-hmm. um, that, are, that are, they're helping your eyes, a lot of his scent is going to go up over that deer. Um, you know, I think his percentage is going to go way up. But mine, you know, I'm looking, when I go in there, I'm looking at the rubs, I'm looking at the wind direction, which way the deer is going to be coming in and out. Because they're telling you, by the rub line, tells you exactly which way they're coming and going. You look at the rub, if the rub part of the tree is facing towards their bedding area, that's where they're coming out in the evening. Um, if it's facing towards the food area, that's where they're coming back in in the morning. Um, so I'm looking at that. I look at the wind. Um, I get set up. I try, you know, I'm going to try to set up pretty close to the top of that, to where that, right onto that rub line. Um, because most of the time, but deer don't take the same area. They don't take the exact same route every time. Um, they may kind of, you may have the rub line, you know, right under your stand directly but that deer may kind of mingle out 20 30 yards from your stand for whatever reason one morning and then sometimes you don't get shot at them and you'll sit there and you'll think well they're going to come right through there sitting there um and then they'll come 20 30 yards on the other side of the same deer um and then you know if you don't get shot sometimes they'll come right under you so they don't take the exact route but they take that general area Mm -hmm. on a on a pretty regular basis um, the only thing that you have to be careful of is during that time is they're not they're not covering a lot of ground. Um, I really, really, really pick. I really try to pick a if I can fi- if there's a cool front coming in and and it really drops the temperature. I mean, we're talking late September. Uh, first week of October, I've done founder rubs. If it drops the temperature, I'm going to be out there that morning um, because them bucks are going to be up on their feet a little longer. They're going to feel better, um, and they're going to come. They're, I mean, it's 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 80, 90 percent that I'm going to get shot at that buck, mm-hmm. um, or at least getting within bow range. I've missed a, I've missed I've missed more deer and um, early season hunting rub lines and. and um, then I have, then I have, you know, within bow range than any other time of the, all, probably, you could take probably five years of my hunting and I have had more bucks in bow range in that five years than I have all of the rest of the season's rut and everything combined. Mm-hmm. They're that predictable. They're so predictable. I would hunt early, if, if you said, if you said you only get one time of the year to hunt, uh, you know most people's going to say the rut. I'm going to say early season. Well, see that got it's that, the, well that has the me most productive time of the year for me. Oh, for sure, and that has me really excited now because to be honest, I'll be 100 percent honest with you. Early season is when I'm slacking the most. Uh, I gave you a little lowdown this past year uh, due to my job and everything. I uh, was not able to get out and do a lot of scouting preseason over the summer. Wasn't able to run cameras or anything like that. So I was just going. To, in on old knowledge i've learned the last couple years of hunting some of this public land and uh i mean i totally realize you know what you're saying about getting on these rub lines early in the season because those deer are more predictable and now i think about it you know i'm out there scouting and i might be out there hunting in november i'm finding these old rub lines from earlier in like you know mid-october 
And, you know, if you were possibly there in the first couple of days of opening season, because, again, Alabama season normally opens, you know, the middle of October, like you're talking 15th, 16th of October normally. And, you know, if you get in there on some of these deer early season where they're still bachelored up like that, they're still predictable, as you're saying, you would probably have a higher chance to be able to harvest that deer. And I think a lot of guys slack, especially in the South, because how hot it is with the mosquitoes. I mean, like Andrew would say, you know, some of the properties he's hunted, you know, those mosquitoes are so big, they could pick them up and fly them away yeah, uh, that's right. in early season, in turkey season. Carry off. So I think that t- that has a lot of people not wanting to get out there, especially in the South, and hunt just because of that, just mosquitoes and the heat. So if you could beat that and, you know, get out there and do enough scouting, run some cameras, and try to pinpoint where some of these bucks are, these bachelor groups, I think you could have a ton of success. And you have me really fired up for this next year. Absolutely, man. Me too. I, I can't wait to get out start scouting this month and during the summer and everything especially in the summer man you got me fired up for early season now it's gonna be a long wait till <laughs> october 15th well uh, one thing real quick i will tell you um the very first thing that i do when i'm looking for rubs is i go back to where i know that there was rub lines in the past i want to check them first Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that'll take out like you, you're going out turkey season stuff. You see old rub lines, mark that, make a mental note of that. I have a really good memory, so I can remember a lot of it. Um, if you if you make a mental note of that or mark that or something, and when you're looking for them rub lines, go to them first. Um, if you have ten of them, I guarantee you, if you if you know where ten rub lines are, you're going to have three or four of them that are going to be hot as heck early season. And I mean that's just bam, you're you're already halfway there, and then you just go on it from there. It's it's uh, I love early season, and I'll tell you what, another thing I hunt, like I said at the beginning, I hunt a I hunt one uh, public property that's that's about a million acres, and I hunt I really cover probably uh, a ten thousand acre area of that. And early bow season, it's like. I'm thinking, man. I hope I, something don't happen because I don't see anybody out here. If I have a, if, if, <laughs> yeah. if something happens where I get lost, I'm gonna be out here for a long time because there's nobody there. I'm out there by myself. Man, that's how it is here too on a lot of these management areas that me and Jacob hunt. Early season, you about have it to yourself. I mean, it feels like you have a lease. I'll have problems yeah. with people on our our designated gun days, and you know, turkey season's a little different. I'll. I, I have to fight through crowds of people on turkey season, but uh, but bow season, man, it's like I have the place to myself and I can do what I want out there. Never, I have never in five years of hunting this particular area, I've never once had somebody walk up on me while bow hunting. Yeah, that's another reason that I hunt. I like it. I pick it is that the deer are really relaxed. Yeah, um, they don't have that pressure yet. Um, they're calm. They've been out there all summer. Not many people's been messing with them they're they're running their normal patterns yeah man for sure but you know i mean the rut is really the rut is the best time to hunt but if you're if you know what you're looking for and stuff early season's the the easiest i guess to to predictively get to set yourself up on a buck Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, again, something that I think our listeners are going to really be able to pick out from this podcast and get a, a lot of information about and be able to apply that for this next season. And I think a lot of guys listening are going to be very excited just to hear that from you and, you know, be able to apply that, especially 
you know, some of these guys hunting, some of these clubs or leases where a lot of the guys aren't real active early season, you know, they might be hunting over a grain field or something like that, but no one's really going in there and trying to find where these core buck areas are and try to get on these basher groups. But on that note, uh, Jacob, what's some ways that guys can get connected with you either uh, personally or over, uh, you know, your deer hunting school? Yeah, if, if, if they go, if they just go to deerhuntingschool.com, um, my actual email is on there. They can contact me, email. I have some products and stuff for sale on there. But, um, I, you know, guys email me all the time, and I email them back. Um, they ask me a simple question or something. I'll, I'll just respond to their their email, you know, answer it and stuff. I mean, if it's, obviously, if it's really complex, I can't answer it through an email. But I, I answer a lot of questions just right through the email. Um, and my, my email is right on my website at deerhuntingschool.com. Um, and it's just right there on, on all the pages. It's my email is deerhuntingschool at live.com. Um, they can contact me through email and, okay. and uh, you know, YouTube, I have a YouTube channel with, with a couple hundred videos on it and, um, stuff like that. Okay. okay. Awesome. Well, we do appreciate you coming on, taking time out of your day just to come on with us and, you know, be able to connect with us and our listeners. And I know you just brought a ton of knowledge for us. And a lot of guys are going to take a lot of, a lot of out of this, um, especially myself. I mean, again, you have me absolutely fired up for early season next year. I know Andrew's the same way. So then again, we do appreciate you coming on here, man. Thank you again, Jacob. Yeah, I appreciate y'all and and good luck to you next year. And and I I hope that y'all can use some of the the stuff I talked about, even for y'all. Um, and, and the listeners can, can pick up something that will put them on one of them early season bucks or, you know, and, uh, you know, that they'll they'll have some success um, with some of the tips. Yeah, man. All right. Well, Jacob, can't thank you enough, man, and I hope you have a great bass fishing season, and I hope you kill a booner this fall. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. All right, man. Alright man, there it is. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Jacob for coming on the show. It was, that was a good one, I gotta admit. I'm gonna I'm gonna be referring back to that one for a long time. Uh, treasure trove of information, man. Jacob's the kind of guy we want to have on this podcast. Uh, just a guy that busts his tail at work, hunts public land, and gets it done. And Jacob, thanks again for coming on. This was a good one, and... Uh, for all our listeners out there, um, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Uh, and reach out to us, man. Uh, if if y'all have any suggestions on stuff you want to hear or whatever else, then just message us on Facebook at the Southern Outdoorsman Facebook page. Or uh, you can email us at aloutdoors8 at gmail.com. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Constructive criticism, always welcome. Uh, Things you like, things you might not like that we could change. But we're about ready to get into some turkey hunting stuff here. So we'll see you next time. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, 
but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.